1: Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Miriam Orman on the show. She is the internal audit leader at HubSpot. For those who don't know, HubSpot is a CRM tool in uh, audit. We probably don't look at CRM tools very often, but I promise you the folks within the sales uh, function of your organization have definitely heard of HubSpot. They are everywhere. Um, and so being from a SaaS uh, company, I the first thing I ask Miriam is what does she care about as an internal audit leader in a SaaS company? Um, we also talk about a lot of uh, discussion relative to SaaS companies is always about scale. So we talk to Miriam about how to scale the internal audit department or the internal audit function. Um, Miriam also talks about the roundtable group that she heads um, in her area. And so they get together, it's tech driven companies and then the internal audit leaders within that, uh, within those organizations, they meet on a monthly basis and swap notes and the value that that she gets from that is something that she speaks to as well as, you know, the value that the group gets. And then Miriam is a a data privacy person. And so wanted to get her thoughts on uh, data privacy, where it is right now, where it's headed, and just her her general thoughts. And then a topic that she wanted to speak to uh, was controls rationalization. Um, So interesting conversation there. And then lastly, we talk about continuous monitoring in SOX and if that makes sense. So here we go.
0: All right. Thank you for having me, Trent. Um, just before we start off, wanted to highlight that these opinions are definitely of my own and not as a representative of HubSpot as an orga- organization. So I would say for me as an audit leader at a SaaS company, and especially at an organization like HubSpot, where we're very much a hyper-growth organization, there's the pendulum and, and kind of the, the focus is always changing, and it's being able to be versatile as the business is growing and stretching into new horizons. Um, so, making sure that you have um, ultimately other leaders that you can connect with, understanding how they've kind of dealt with certain risk factors or You know, the business is also looking to internal audit to provide, even from a risk advisory standpoint, what else are others doing? What are we thinking about? And really kind of playing the role of the concept around what we call a trusted advisor as well. So there is a lot of that and um, being flexible, right? Um, And incorporating that flexibility into the audit process, um, into the audit plan knowing that being agile and what we ultimately want to scope in and evaluate can change and, and will change. Uh, because some of the systems or the processes that might have been critical at one point in time easily change, we then need to reinvent and restructure ourselves in terms of um, areas that are not critical uh, for our long-term growth and, and strategy.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe when we talked about it the first time, you mentioned scalability, especially within um, HubSpot. And then from my note that I took, it was like internal audit's ability to scale. Also, Do you have any um, anything like that you could speak to relative to that, like scaling internal audit?
0: Yeah, I think one of the challenges that not just in SaaS but across the board that internal audit is. Is constantly facing, and I'd say even the past decade is really kind of the breadth and the and the depth of risk areas that we also need to have a lot of experience kind of thinking through. Um, so when you look at the top, you know, 10 risk factors across industry, and especially in the technology space, you know, from one end, we're talking about cybersecurity and all the different elements associated with that. We also, in internal audit, need to take into consideration financial reporting risk, right? And there's been a lot of changes from an accounting standard, you know, with 606 in the past few few years, but also with 842-run leases. And the other element that we have to focus on is also around, like, data privacy and the ever-changing landscape of that across all the different jurisdictions. Because with SAS, right, we're ultimately operating we're ultimately operating globally. Mm -hmm. So being aware of what's happening in, in the U S as a country, in terms of what's happening in, in California versus what's on the pipeline in DC, but also what's happening in Europe, what's happening in Latin America. So just thinking about the level of regulatory compliance factors that we constantly need to be um, balancing just creates that additional scaling perspective. It's how have you structured your team to to support that, right? So how are you incorporating that subject matter expertise? How are you um, having conversations with others who are doing a little bit more deep dive in cybersecurity? Um, How are you thinking about a lot of the um, critical system implications around how we've thought through vulnerability assessments, especially if it's a system that is completely innate and bespoke to your environment. Um, So a lot of those um, processes and really creates a new challenge when I think about IA. And how I've thought about solving for that is really incorporating not only kind of roundtables and leaning on others that are in that environment, but also incorporating the oddities, right, in the process, in the audit process, because um, they ultimately are the subject matter expert in a particular system, in a particular field. So incorporating their thoughts and and highlighting, this is the what could go wrong that I'm anticipating. This is the objective of what I'm trying to accomplish as it relates to, to this particular audit process. How would you evaluate that? What are some of the concerns that you have? And the audit report and the audit evaluation process becomes much more of a collaborative exercise than it is you know, this old school catch me if you can, um, you know, process that we used to go through. So then the audit report really provides insight in terms of, you know, what are the things that we need to be working towards solutioning and elevating those to the audit committee and the board? So then they can see, ultimately, this is what we need to be focusing on, because we've Field a lot of those different layers that we might not necessarily have gotten to, how do we not incorporate the auditing themselves into our audit steps? So we're effectively supporting additional investments that they might need to effectively address the risk. So for me, it's like that's that scaling. Um, that's how you would address that scaling piece.
1: And you refer to it as audit rapport?
0: Uh, report. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So ultimately audit conclusions, right? These are the findings, these are the things you have observed. And rather than here are the gaps, but then here are the gaps because we've worked through these processes and we want to fix them Mm -hmm. um, and kind of being able to prioritize them in partnership with um, the business owner.
1: Gotcha. I thought you were saying audit rapport and I thought, I like the way that sounded. Like the relationship that we have with the auditee, as r- the rapport that we have with them. Um, but anyway, um, what no, no,
0: I, I, I agree. I think that's a that's a big element of that, right? So as you're working through um, determining what are the steps that you need to take, it is about building audit rapport, yeah. right? It's about building that relationship to even get to that. That your know, end result would be. How am I consolidating all of those learnings in the audit process? But that's part of the relationship building in the beginning to kind of work together on that.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about well, speaking of relationship building, and you're talking about the the roundtable groups that I know you head up, right?
0: So I do lead a, a targeted um, technology focus roundtable um, within the New England area. So I've reached out to a a few other internal audit uh, directors that are really in the technology space, because this is where we really see a lot of that agility and a lot of that um, constant reshifting, right? So I think it's important for us to really have candid conversation in terms of, you know, who are you partnering with in terms of uh, vendors? What are some of the questions that your board members, your audit committee members are asking and focusing on? Um, What are some of the KPIs that you found have been helpful in the conversation? And a lot of the elements in internal audit that becomes important as well is how can we help shape a lot of the conversation in the audit committee uh, meetings tied to those new risk areas that everyone is asking questions about, but ultimately you know, are we supporting um, management, but are we supporting also the audit committee members in terms of the type of question that they should be asking as well? So I think those roundtables really provide insight because you have a much bigger you know, breadth of opportunity and more in terms of what others are thinking.
1: Yeah. And I, I can't, so Nick LeBlanc is the one that told me that you run that roundtable group. And I can't remember how it got brought up, but it might've been, I might've asked him that question of what should we be asking our audit committees? Uh, and I think maybe when I asked him that, he might've said that that was like a topic at some point or, or, or something like that. But as soon as you said it, it definitely made me think of Nick. And he said that those roundtable groups have been like invaluable to him. They've been fantastic. So I definitely wanted to I know it wasn't like on our agenda to talk about, but I wanted to put it out there because of how, I guess, well-received it's been. Um, and Tom, I talked to Tom O'Reilly last week. He might've mentioned it too. I was trying to remember, but um, but just how like valuable those are. Like I wanted to make sure that other people know that that's out there mm-hmm. and that they should basically do it also. Like there should be folks in Atlanta within whatever industry that get together. How frequently do you guys meet? Is it like every every-
0: Every other month. Um, so we meet every two hours. We have, um, I typically have a survey process across the different members to kind of get insight in terms of what are the areas they're looking to prioritize for the meeting. Mm. Um, and I facilitate in terms of, so I'll, you know, pick who, whoever is kind of a little bit more forward looking into a particular space. So let's say, digital transformation, RPA. So as you mentioned, Nick, right, he's kind of in the forefront a lot on that space. So um, that could be a potential topic area. We would talk about what his learning process, how was it, how did he engage the business in terms of that activity? What particular vendors did he leverage? What was kind of that, that life cycle in terms of getting there? Um, And we also have open forum, right, just to kind of talk about a variety of different things, you know, concerns, top of mind areas that might have come up. Um, And it's funny, because I've definitely gotten a lot of feedback from um, the actors in terms of how helpful those conversations have been. And, And they continue to happen offline as well, right? Because now you have this pipeline that you can reach out to Um, on those off months or throughout the week and and say, hey, I've got this going on, you know, have you heard about this? Like, is this something that you're dealing with or we're looking to benchmark a particular function, right? And wanted to know what you're doing over there at, you know, XYZ company. Um, So really getting that immediate response and insight and those conversations are really kind of giving us even more credibility when we're talking to management and the AC um, and we might actually increase the, the, the cadence of it, just, just on, on that. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but I highly recommend it. You know, learning is not about just doing webinars and kind of reading all this, all the articles and research content, but it's also about talking to others and and listening as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Speaking of, listening. Uh, that This might be a cheesy segue into data privacy and who are, who is listening or who are listening to us. I know uh, when we talked previously, you said that you love data privacy. Um, so I want to give you a chance to speak about that. What is it that you love about data privacy?
0: Yeah, I think for me, um, my own personal data, right, is really, I think, what keeps me interested in internal audit is I am able to personalize it to my own learning and mm. my own growth. Yeah. Um, and data privacy is an area that is important to me because I care about my data. I care about the information that is out there. And I like to know that I have control over how it's protected and managed and and, and that type of uh, focus. So it's an area that's kind of really been interested in because learning about was it us as constituents pushing our legislators to kind of have those requirements, or is it other factors around what's happening, external factors that we don't have control over when it comes to things like uh, terrorism and money laundering. So data privacy has all these different multifaceted faceted layers to it. And I just find it very compelling because when you're le- learning truly learning about data privacy, le- you're learning about systems, you're learning about legal uh, avenues, you're learning about process, you're learning about um, regulatory landscape across the world. So it's just kind of that learning mindset, and that's really what uh, why I think it's so exciting. It's and it's something that is manage uniquely to each organization as well. Um, so yeah.
1: <laughs> hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Did you see the news last week from Apple about what they're doing with iPhones?
0: Uh, uh, Related to coronavirus data?
1: No, they are... So it's always been like, if you use their cloud, you upload pictures or whatever to their cloud, it's theirs. They, they can own it, they can scan it, they can do whatever they want to with it. But it's always been this the case with like all the tech companies that on your phone, if it's on your phone, it's yours, you know? And they're changing that and saying, no, we're going to start scanning your, your actual phones also. It is in an effort to combat... Um, child sex rings and that that's you know kind of going on and that's kind of I read like a message board about it so everybody kind of has their different slants um so I'm far from an expert on that but you know they're saying that that's the the way to get buy-in from the masses is to say hey we're using this to stop you know child predators you know and then people go okay well if that's you know that's a good reason so I don't and I don't know what you're doing And I'm not hiding anything so of course you can scan mine and a lot of the, other, the skeptics were like, this is like the step that you're not supposed to take as a tech company, or um, there's always going to be one more step, you know, it's like, okay, you get this, then they're going to want more and they're going to want more and they're going to, anyway, uh, it's pretty interesting uh, conversation that I read about it. I don't know if you had seen anything about it.
0: I have it, but I think this is, this is exactly the type of conversations that we need to be having right now, because, right. So The more data that we have, and the more we're willingly giving that information to to tech companies and to anywhere else out there, is you know, are they using it for the intent and purpose that we actually are giving the right, the right of use, right? Right. Um, and that's what it comes down to. So for me, it's like fine scan, but how do I know you're only using it for that purpose? Yeah, And what is out there protecting me, right? As given that it's my own data to really ensure that it is really kind of targeted for that particular scope and that particular scope alone. So I think when folks raise the questions around, well, it is just another way. But that question really comes up because we don't have the infrastructure and we don't have the legislation in place now to really give them that comfort, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I think how quickly are we able to work, uh, work towards like a regulatory space where people can feel safe in an environment where, yes, I'm giving you access to my data, you're using it for that purpose. But then at the same time, I know that is the only reason you're using it for, yeah. um, and I can't feel comfortable with that. I feel comfortable with that when every other day, right? We're getting messages across the board where there's data leakage, mm-hmm. um, and things are, you know, you're getting notified about this company, and you know they're getting called in Congress, and you know getting that slap on the wrist, but then nothing comes of it. Yeah. So. I think it's only fair on both sides, right? Fine. You want to use the data, but what are you doing to protect it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And probably not enough. Yeah. I think it is going to be at the like legislative level before it'll be okay. And I don't see that happening like any, any, anytime soon. I don't know. What do you think? Do you feel like it's moving too fast for legislation to even catch up with it? I mean, look how, I mean, cybersecurity, <laughs> there was nothing nationally around cyber until like two months ago uh, and I'm not a cyber expert, so I forget all of it, but I know that my cyber friends thought it was good news or headed towards the right direction that there was some kind of national uh, protocol or national methodology or framework that that we're going to be a, a, um, accountable to. And that's cyber. <laughs> that's,
0: that's been around. really limited for a government contracting, you know, organization, right? So to the extent that you have large government contracts, then you're subject to that. but realistically, there's a lot of, of us who are giving our data to other organizations where they're not necessarily subject to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know that piece of it is just uh, sometimes we are very reactive and it means it made me look at socks, right? you know it took you know it what it took Enron, it took, millions of people it took you know tons and tons of other incidents and you know and even just as far as like what was it 10 years ago now um with you know maddow and all of those and we are now you know every week we're all being kind of numb to a lot of this as well too and now we're just kind of getting cybersecurity requirements out for government contracting um spaces but then I think it's just I think part of it is how loud are we being and how how much are we asking for it and I think that's the big difference in terms of us culturally in the U.S. versus in Europe because I think that's a big driver the more people are asking for it the more legislators are forced to listen Mm -hmm. um but until that happens You know, we could be talking about this for another decade.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs)
0: right. So we'll see. I mean, I think there's a little bit of some heated conversations now. And I think more so other factors like, you know, money laundering and terrorism might help push it. Um, But um, I don't know. I think when you the other side of it is very unpredictable.
1: Yeah, 100 percent agree when we initially talked, I said, you know, are there any topics that you kind of had in mind that you would like to like hit on during the show? And you mentioned controls, rationalization, what that is and why that was a, the the first topic that you said, this is the thing that I really want to talk about.
0: Um, so for me, it comes back to how can we, it, it comes back to efficiency and effectiveness. Um, so when I think about, going back to that, that topic, right? When I, when I think about scaling, I think about in an internal audit, are we focusing on the right things, right? And we mentioned, you know, risk-based approach, right? Are we starting with our process as kind of our beginning point, or are we starting with the risk factors and those things that are the what could go wrong? So this is why I find control rationalization kind of a key a key point and something that we should not lose sight of is let's start with, do we have an understanding of what the risk climate looks like? Do we have an understanding of whether it's the accounting guidance or it's the regulatory requirements or all of that landscape? And are you then able to boil it down to some of those key risk concepts then, from that standpoint, you go to your process, right? Because now I have this store understanding of things that could go wrong. Now, let me look at my process and say, what are those critical points of failures where that risk could be too big to fail, right? Like that particular control point that says, I can't, I absolutely need to have a control here in place, or, um, you know, al- along the path, like you'll have multiple controls, but without starting with the beginning risk factor element, you end up always rationalizing why a control is important. All control points are important, but are they critical, right? Um, And the level of effort that we spend in IA should really be on those areas that are critical, right? Because from a resourcing perspective, especially in SaaS, where you're constantly having to move things and reshift and be agile, it's really important that we focus on those things that are key. And that's why control rationalization is something that's clear, you know, close to my heart, because it's, I want to make sure that I'm really kind of honing in on those areas that I absolutely think would be detrimental in terms of being able to conclude and whether that risk is addressed or not.
1: Is there like an example that you could walk through?
0: Um, I would say, so I started at HubSpot earlier on um, this year and even in previous organizations, one of the first steps that I look to perform is what is what are those risk factors and identifying where things should be key or non-key, right? And having those conversations to say, is this control... Um, design in a way where it's addressing that critical, um, risk step completely and fully. Um, and do I need, I need redundancy associated with that. So do I have one or two controls, Mm -hmm. right? And is that redundancy important or necessary? And then the third step is if no, then maybe just that one point is all I need to cover. So, Um, one area that I spend a lot of time in in that space is definitely revenue and um, and tax because those are where most organizations have the most heightened risk of uh, management override or just kind of holistically from that standpoint but also in terms of complexity Um, and what they're like the too big to fail, right? So I want to make sure that ultimately I'm my team, myself, we're focusing on those areas. So I typically would then have a proposal to management and say, based on this analysis, let's go through it. Do you agree in terms of what my team will focus on um, in terms of providing that assurance? We understand those are part of your environment and that they should be continue to be performed, but from a from a risk assurance perspective, we're not necessarily going to be providing that validation, right? So we'll maybe look at one occurrence and say, I'll look at one sample. I'll say, is that control design effectively? But then that assurance element where we're really looking at operating effectiveness throughout the year, this is not an area that we're going to necessarily... Um, Honing on. So then I start relying to that point, uh, I start relying more on the certification process as well, right, to kind of cover that residual risk, just ensuring that are you confirming, basically, are you still performing that control as opposed to um, kind of auditing it per se.
1: Do you feel like continuous monitoring relative to SOCs makes sense? So instead of like just the annual kind of uh, review or annual audit to where it is on a monthly or quarterly basis, given like a given risk area.
0: So I think this is a topic where um, we're still very much like in that early uh, stages, because one of the focus points for me is definitely how do we move away from having less manual controls so we can have an environment that's more automated, Mm -hmm. right? So we can build that almost like a process resilience um, to to it. And I I am hoping that continuous monitoring would be almost a downstream impact of that as opposed to where we are today, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think It's important to enable, to ensure that we have a clean process, that it's repeatable or I can ultimately monitor um, and have that continuous monitoring against a particular that I feel comfortable about, right? Because ultimately you wanna vet out the inputs, make sure it's working, um, that it's functioning and then apply that to it.
1: Is there anything else that you would wanna leave the audience with
0: it, it's not a happy thing, um, but so my my nephew actually got diagnosed with leukemia a few weeks ago. Um, and I just kind of wanted to raise awareness around that. And just in terms of, you know, like you never think something like this will happen to your family until it does. And he's turning to actually Jesus. on Saturday. And it's just it's been a complete reality overall for the family just kind of you know their life turning upside down and um and not you know we all always feel protected so i just kind of wanted to encourage people to you know trust your gut when it comes to your kids right i mean his symptoms started with honestly just a fever and stomach ache and it's escalated to this awful reality. And we're very fortunate that we live in an area where we have the best children hospital. So we're very hopeful about that and his recovery and hoping, you know, he's going to be in remission. Um, And they found it before he was two, which is like positive news. So really staying positive about that, but, you know, just kind of, you know, going back to, I think we're the past couple years, the past year and two, it's like, I think our humanity has been tested around like communities. And I, I've definitely been feeling that. I am so grateful for how the community has rallied behind um, my nephew, Colin, and he is just like such a happy little boy. And he's just, he's fighting for his life, you know? And, um, and I, and I'm, I just have to leave with gratitude, honestly, because, um, it just kind of, you know, puts a lot of things in perspective when you see a little two-year-old, not even right. Who is completely, he doesn't even know what's wrong, right? Like he, he's completely unaware and he's just kind of completely dependent and relying on his family and the community. Um, and my, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they, um, you know, like they, they have two dogs and how amazing, like the community has kind of Uh, the dog club just kind of took the man free of charge, just people bringing food and donating to the GoFundMe. It's just kind of, I am, you know, I just, I think it's the past year or two has really kind of, I know it's been very trying for all of us, but it's also kind of us just how much people really care about one another. And, um, so for me, it's been about definitely just, you know remembering that there is so much in life that we should all just be grateful for. So
1: yeah, I appreciate. It. I mean we certainly love the audit conversation uh, and, and hate to hear uh, about your nephew, but appreciate that you shared that as a reminder um, with us. So thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, Miriam, it was fantastic having you on uh the show uh i think i'll can say collectively from the listeners our thoughts and prayers are certainly with you um and your family
0: thank you thank you i really appreciate it